This morning, we're in a part two of a little two-part series on prayer from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 18 through 20. We'll be looking at the four alls of prayer. There's four different alls here listed in verse 18. And the last all will open up into a few more things I want to discuss with you in verses 19 and verse 20. So the title of the message is Prayer, the Secret Weapon. And I'll read Ephesians chapter 6, verses 18 through 20. Paul writes to the church of Ephesus, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to the end, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Father, we bow before you now in prayer, thanking you for the opportunity to offer our praise to you, to give our gifts to you, to bring our hearts to you. And we pray that you would speak to us now through your word in such a way that would change us and mold us and shape us into becoming a praying church. Help us to learn what it means to pray, how to pray, when to pray. And how to pray in the Spirit. God, we want to persevere in prayer. We want to pray for all saints at all times. And so allow us through this text of Scripture to be challenged, to be encouraged, and to be changed. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week I told you that every leader in the world needs to do whatever they can do to kind of get an edge up on the competition. And so oftentimes they'll kind of hold something that they haven't revealed yet, such as a secret weapon. Last week I talked to you about how the Gustav gun that Hitler had invented in the middle of World War II didn't work out too well for Germany. The United States, however had a different experience altogether in the development and execution of their secret weapon, the atomic bomb. In the middle of World War II, President Roosevelt signed an order creating a secret project to develop the nuclear weapon. The program that developed the atomic bomb for the United States was the largest secret project ever undertaken by the United States government. The stakes were high. Simply put, the U.S. needed to build an atomic weapon before Germany or Japan did. In order to keep the development of the A-bomb a secret project, it was entitled the Manhattan Project. This was due to the fact that the U.S. Army, Army Corps of Engineers, who were spearheading the efforts, had their offices located in New York. The Manhattan Project produced three bombs. The first bomb, known as the Gadget, was used as a test model. Due to the enormous expense and slow production rates for explosive material, no further tests were conducted. The second bomb, known as Little Boy, was detonated over the city of Hiroshima. And the final bomb, called Fat Man, was detonated over the city of Nagasaki. Nuclear development continued throughout World War II as there was again a race to who could develop this nuclear bomb first. The threat of a German atomic bomb never translated into reality, and when the Nazis surrendered in May of 1945, neither side had produced a working atomic weapon as of yet. However, pressure 
to complete the weapon remained very great. An atomic bomb was considered to be a primary alternative to the dreaded land invasion of the Japanese mainland. The history of the Manhattan Project remained classified for many years. In fact, it was so secret that Harry Truman, the vice president of the United States, was not made aware of its existence until after the death of President Roosevelt in 1945. The Manhattan Project allowed the United States to unlock the mysteries of the atom, but it also introduced the most destructive creation of warfare known to mankind. The project became a forerunner in nuclear development and control and signified the beginning of an era of nuclear weapons and scientific discovery. Well, this morning, I want to talk to you about a weapon that is more powerful I want to talk to you about a weapon that is more life-altering. I want to talk to you about a weapon that not only changes the course of history, but it changes the course of all eternity. I'm talking to you about the secret weapon of prayer. Now, we know that prayer is really no secret, but sometimes it feels like a secret because Jesus told us in Matthew 6, 6, that when you pray, go into your room and shut the door, pray to your Father who is in secret. And your father who sees you in secret will reward you. And so in one sense, this Manhattan project called prayer is to be developed and manufactured in the privacy of your own prayer closet. But at other times, the Bible teaches us to pray openly and gathered meetings and in the church and pray at all times for all people. There's examples of leaders leading a whole nation in prayer in Israel. Unlike the atomic bomb, prayer does not need to be tested or proven in a laboratory. It needs to be tried and proven in everyday life. Unlike the atomic bomb, prayer is not to be used once or twice to decimate a city. It is to be put to use every day to save a city from the destruction of sin. Unlike nuclear warfare, prayer is not about an arms race to flex the military muscle of a nation. It is about a humble dependence on God to deliver his people from their sin. Prayer is a desperate plea to the God of all power and the God of all might to have his way in our hearts and in our lives for his glory and for our good. So the question before us this morning simply would be, have you developed the secret weapon? Have you unlocked the mysteries of prayer? It was R.A. Torrey who said this about prayer, quote, when the devil sees a man or woman who really believes in prayer, who knows how to pray and who really does pray, and above all, when he sees a whole church on its face before God in prayer, he trembles as much as he ever did, for he knows that his day in that church or community is at an end. Would we be considered a praying church? Would your small group be considered a small group that prays? Would your family be considered a praying family? Do you as an individual spend time before God in your prayer closet? Well, let's take a look at this passage this morning so we can learn to be challenged and to be encouraged about what it means to pray here in the context of spiritual warfare. We started last week looking at the four alls 
of prayer. And the reason I say the four alls, if you look at verse 18 here, we see praying at all times. That's the first all in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. That's the second all. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance. That's the third all. And then making supplication for all the saints. Last week, we looked at the first two alls. First of all, we talked about the frequency of prayer, the fact that we ought to be praying in the morning, praying during the day, praying in the evening, praying at all times on all occasions, and we ought to be praying in the spirit. We took a little time to define the fact that praying in the spirit simply means praying in accordance with the will of God, praying in the name of Jesus Christ. And last week, we also looked at the second all of prayer, number two, the variety of prayer. We talked about that common acronym that the church has used for a number of years called ACTS, Adoration. Psalm 29.2, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Confession. Second Chronicles 7.14, but if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. We talked about the, the variety of prayer of thanksgiving. Psalm 95, 2, let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. We talked last week about supplication. Matthew 7, 7, ask and it will be given unto you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. What a great encouragement it is for Christ to challenge us that we would make petitions of him. I love the word ask there. I believe it shows humility. The very fact that we would have to ask God to help us out in our marriages and with our parenting. I've been asking God for help in parenting our children. And this week, God answered a special prayer. It's just so humbling to see how God answers prayer when we really are faithful to ask God Ask shows humility. Seek, I believe, shows action. It shows action that we're not just asking God passively, but we're seeking to know the will of God. We're seeking to pray in accordance with the Spirit. We're seeking the heart of God in prayer. And so there's not only asking what shows humility, seeking what shows action, then there's knocking. There's just that constant knocking. It's knocking and knocking that we don't let up, but we continue to persevere in prayer. It shows persistence that we want to keep asking and keep asking and keep asking God. The third all of prayer this morning that we'll get into is simply this, the manner of prayer, the manner of prayer. And I'm getting that out of the middle of verse 18 there where it says, keeping alert with all perseverance. So the manner of our prayer ought to be the type of prayer that we realize that it's to that end, which means for this purpose that we are called to keep alert. In fact, the, the, the idea of keeping alert is given four times in the New Testament. And in this context, it has the force of keeping watch for a possible threat so that you would be alert and vigilant. And so we could say it this way. This is your first blank if you are taking notes today. A, be on guard. Be on guard against temptation. We're to, we're to be alert. We're to stand on guard. We're to stay faithful and ready. This is part of the Lord's Prayer, what some call the Disciples' Prayer, Matthew 6, where Jesus said, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. There's the idea of keeping watch, being alert at any moment of any day. 
that you could fall into any temptation. I mean, which one of you woke up this morning thinking that somehow you're not going to be tempted? It's a 100% statistic that you'll be tempted today, right? 100 out of 100 of you will be tempted on this day. And my question to you is, are you already on guard? Are you already alert? Are you already praying, God, lead me not into temptation today? I know I'll be tempted. I'll go to church, and I'll see somebody wearing a nice outfit, and I'll think to myself, wow, that's a nice outfit. I wish I had a nice outfit. I'll go to church, and I'll see somebody pull up in a nice car, and I'll be like, when did they get that new car? That's a sweet ride. And before you know it, you're just falling into temptation to be short with one another, to be jealous of one another. We're just going to be tempted all day long, and yet we're called to pray, to stand watch. we got to realize that the enemy is out to kill and to steal and to destroy. Are you on watch through prayer? The United States military is constantly watching for potential effect, uh, potential attack. Right? We will not let Pearl Harbor happen again. There is a 24 surveillance at every border. There are active radars searching for enemy aircraft in every direction. Even the expanse and the depths of the ocean are being surveillance for unwanted ships and submarines. We have to keep watch on the airwaves and on the radio wavelengths and to keep watch on the internet for potential hackers. There are literally millions of cyber attacks every day. You better bet our military is keeping watch. And the question is, are you also keeping guard? Are you staying alert? Not only do we need the shield of faith with which we can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Not only do we need the helmet of salvation to protect us from the lies of the devil. Not only do we need the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. But we need to have specific verses in mind to rebuff Satan. And we need specific prayers that are armed and ready to stand on guard and to pray. Not only did Jesus teach us to pray, he also showed us how to pray as well. You remember his urgent desire to pray the night before he was abducted to be crucified in the Garden of Gethsemane when he just simply said in Matthew 26 to the disciples, Peter, James, and John, sit here while I'll go over there and pray. He's not just teaching us how to pray. He's showing us when push came to shove in his life, when he was going through a deep temptation and struggle in one sense or another in his own life, he's going to go to the Father in prayer. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? Peter, all all the time I've spent with you over the last three years, all the miracles that you've seen, the time that you walked on water, the time that you saw me feed the 5,000, could you not Watch and pray with me for one hour. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I wonder what it would have been like for you in the Garden of Gethsemane. Would you have been able to have prayed with Jesus for one hour? Do you even spend one hour on any given day 
in prayer. If we looked at the entire week that you lived this week and added up all the prayers that you prayed, would it amount to even one hour? Would Jesus say to us this morning, could you not watch and pray with me for just five minutes? Just five minutes before you get up and rush off to work on your way home as you're preparing to shepherd your family, as you face temptation that you know will be coming at you at some point during the day. Can you not take five minutes and watch and pray? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so we need to be learning to ask God to strengthen us with a spirit of, of might and power to overcome the flesh so that we can pray. So we must be on guard, but this verse also says we need to be persistent. Your next blank there, be persistent in prayer. Turn with me, if you will, to Luke chapter 11. There's a couple of incredible passages in the gospel of Luke that remind us about the importance of being persistent in prayer. You know them both well. In Luke 11, verse 5, we read this. Jesus says, which one of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, talking about some bread, right? For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up, and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, another word for persistence, because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and to the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be open. You remember what we said about asking, seeking, and knocking? We see humility, action, and perseverance. And this is what Jesus calls from us, to ask, to seek, and to knock, to continue to come before the God that we serve, the God who created us, and to beg him to do something great for his own name. Verse 11 says, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. In other words, don't be afraid to pray to God in prayer. He will give you what is best for you. He will never harm you. He will never attack you. He may not answer the prayer, of course, the way that you wanted it to be answered, but he will not harm you in any way. And this is a, an example then in verse 13. If you then, who are evil, meaning we're far from perfect, we might be loving parents, but we're still sinners saved by grace, and so we're not righteous in ourselves, only because of the imputed righteousness of Christ. And so in some ways, if we who are evil know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? He will give to those who ask. I think the problem is we just get tired of asking. We think that maybe we're asking too much. We think that maybe we're bothering God. Look a little bit later in Luke at chapter 18. Luke 18, this is about what we call the persistent widow in Luke 18, starting in verse 1. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not to lose heart. So if you're here this morning, Christian, and you sometimes do lose heart in prayers, and you would say, I couldn't describe my prayer life as persistent, then this is a parable that Jesus gives to you. This is a parable, meaning parallel, a story that has a parallel truth that he wants you to be encouraged by this morning. And the parable goes like this. In a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. Now, that's a pretty rotten scoundrel. 
right? I mean, this guy could care less about God, and he could care less about man. This is a bad dude. There's nothing redeemable about him whatsoever. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. And for a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Notice in both of these stories, we are told that we should be thinking about a good God who loves us and he wants what is best for us. And I started to tell you last week about how sometimes my kids might petition me for certain things. You know, it could be something like, all right, kids, time to go to bed. It's summertime, so maybe bedtime's a little bit later than normal. Say we're going to stay up to 10 o'clock. And I'm like, all right, guys, we got to go to bed at 10 o'clock. And one of my kids looks at maybe their clock and realizes, well, we got 10 minutes. And so they might ask me, hey, Dad, why don't we go for ice cream? <laughs> got 10 minutes. Now, why would my kids ask me that? When we know it's almost 10 o'clock, why would they ask me, hey, Dad, maybe we should get donuts. Let's go get donuts, because we do that sometimes on Saturday morning, and yet they like to ask for donuts all through the day, every day, and sometimes at night. Let's go get donuts. And the reason that they ask sometimes for things that to an adult just seems like, are you kidding? We're not going to go get ice cream right now. It's 10 o'clock. Go to bed. The reason that our kids are like that is because, number one, they know that we love them. And number two, they know that we have means. We have the ability to take them to get donuts. And we've done it before. We've taken them to ice cream before. And so they know that it is possible. And so why not take a shot? Why not just ask and if we say no, they can be like, eh, all right, maybe tomorrow. We'll ask again tomorrow. We'll get him tomorrow. <laughs> tomorrow, he will say, yes, we're going to beat him down. We're reading the text, Daddy. We're going to bother you. And the problem is, is that we approach that and we stop being like little kids when we come to ask God in prayer. We stop being persistent because we think somehow we're bothering God. And the whole point of those two stories is God is not evil. He is not unrighteous, and he actually delights in the fact that you would come and ask of him. He commands us to ask, seek, and knock. He's saying, ask me again. Ask me again. Be persistent in asking me. Now, obviously, we don't want to be asking God for selfish prayers that are not in the spirit or according to the will of God, prayed in Jesus' name. If our prayers that we're constantly asking only have a, have a flavor of serving self, then obviously that's not even a, a God-honoring type prayer. But if you're asking God, would you save my mom or my dad or my sister or my brother or my coworker? God says, you know what? I, I can do that. I, I can do that. He may, he may not do it right away, but he could do it at some point in their lifetime. We need to keep asking, God, I'm praying for a new job where I could glorify you and provide for my family. And we come to God because we know that he loves us and that he has means. I can do that. 
I could answer that prayer. And so we need to come and to pray with more persistence in our life. And the end of this parable in Luke 18 there kind of starts to hint at when Christ returns, he will answer speedily. And really what that's getting into is an eschatological view that while God may wait for a long, long, long time in our perspective, from a human perspective, to answer the prayer, when he does answer it, he answers it quickly. And that really kind of gets us over to the next uh, point here on your outline. Be on the lookout for Christ's return. Be on the lookout for Christ's return. That's kind of what we're hinting at here. When that last question, when Jesus says, will he find faith on earth? It seems to suggest that when Christ does return, this kind of faith, this kind of persistence in prayer will be rare. It'll be very rare to have faithful saints who pray constantly, and yet we're called to be on guard and keep awake, for you do not know the time in which he will come. Luke 21, 36, but stay awake at all times praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. 1 Peter 4, 7, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. We need to be praying at all times with all kinds of prayers, with alertness and perseverance because Jesus could come back at any moment. I used to be a little bit afraid because I used to hear someone preach on this and they would say, what are you going to be doing when Jesus comes back? You're going to be watching a movie? Shame on you. You're going to be eating candy? Shame on you. Don't ever do anything that you don't want to be doing the moment Jesus comes back. Well, I, I do think that has some merit. I mean, obviously, you don't want to be found just playing video games when Christ comes back, right? You don't want to be just found in sin when Christ comes back. But I think the, the aim of the passage is that what characterizes our life is that we are so prayer-oriented that when Jesus comes back, he comes back for a praying people. I mean, certainly it's possible he could come back when you're at the Dodgers game or you're, you know, you're watching a, you are watching a movie or whatever. And so it's not wrong to do those things. But I think the idea here is more of not are you doing it that second so much as is what characterizes your life at that moment? Are you the type of praying person when Christ comes back? Well, we've got to move on to the fourth focus of prayer here. The fourth focus, uh, excuse me, the fourth all of prayer. I'm talking now about the focus of prayer. A, in your outline, pray for all the saints. Pray for all the saints. A lot of examples all throughout the Bible about praying for others. I'll let you look at those on your own, but Moses was praying for others, Elijah praying for others, Daniel's prayer there in Daniel 9. There's an incredible prayer of Stephen. Even when he's being martyred, he's praying for others, Philippians, Colossians. There's all kinds of examples of praying for others. Even Jesus gave us this example in his high priestly prayer of John 17 in verse 9 and following when he says, I'm praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And so all kind of examples here fulfilling this command, if you will, about the four alls of prayer. We got to be praying for all the saints. We need to constantly be praying for one another, praying for the men of our church and praying for the women of our church and the college students and the youth and the children and our Christian brothers and sisters in this community. We ought to be praying for all the saints. And then notice next, he says, pray your next blank, pray also for me. Paul is not ashamed to ask and request prayer. You know, there's some people who are so godly and so self-righteous, I would say, when you ask them, hey, do you need prayer? How can we pray for you? No, I'm good. I'm good. I don't need, I don't need your prayer. You kidding me? I'm good. I got this. Well, that's a very haughty attitude, right? I appreciated last night we were hanging out with a couple of friends and they just simply asked, how can we pray for you? 
So, you know, I thank God for friends who want to pray with us. Thank God that we ought to be praying for one another, and we ought to ask for prayer for ourselves. And there's two specific requests that Paul gives here in verses 19 and 20, and both requests are introduced with what we call the henna clause, which shows purpose or result. In other words, the purpose or result of his request is twofold. And here's the first one, number one in your outline. There's no blank here, but it just simply says, he's praying that words would be given to me to proclaim. Look at verse 19, and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. All that is the first henna clause or the first request that Paul gives in prayer. Maybe we could break it down this way. Your next blank says, God, would you give me your words? That's what he's asking for. He's not asking here for himself in some selfish way. He's not asking for himself in some other way other than simply, God, would you just give me your word? The word here for word is logos. He's simply praying that God would give him the right word at the right time to say exactly what God would want him to say. Psalm 81.10 says, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open wide your mouth and I will fill it. There's so many occasions that you're going to work or you're going to share the gospel with a friend or you're going to teach Sunday school or whatever it is and that you need to be asking, God, would you give me the right word? God, I can't do this. I cannot do this on my own, give me the words to speak. Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 5 through 10 is an incredible story about how God formed Jeremiah in the womb. And before he was born, he consecrated Jeremiah. And he says, I appointed you to be a prophet to the nations. Jeremiah said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. But the Lord said to me, do not say, I am only a youth, for to all to whom I send you, you shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. Well, I believe just like God appointed Jeremiah, I believe that he's appointed every Christian for a special work in your life, wherever you are, whatever day it is, and that he gives you the words to speak that we're thinking and meditating on God's kindness and his truth and the gospel. And in that moment when you know not what to say, he will give you the words. Secondly, we could say under this request, God, would you give me, uh, would you help me proclaim your truth? Would you help me to proclaim it? To proclaim means to make known or to reveal. Uh, what, what is Paul supposed to proclaim? Well, he talks here about the mystery of the gospel. And in the context of Ephesians, we've talked at some time about what exactly the mystery of the gospel is. It was hidden in the past. It's revealed in the New Testament. And in the context of Ephesians, it's simply this, that believing Jews and believing Gentiles would become one man in the church. That was a mystery. The Jews never fully understood though they had reason to, 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 uh, to think that it could happen, but they never fully understood that believing Gentiles would be brought into the believing covenant community of believing Jews. And so this mystery of the gospel was, was incredible. It was an amazing truth. 
And it's what's discussed all throughout Ephesians chapter 3, how the mystery was made known. It keeps saying made known four times in Ephesians chapter 3 that, that it would be made known to them. The mystery of the gospel for us today is also in a similar way that, that it's just really, in its essence, it's the gospel. It's that we would all be one in Christ. The key there being in Christ. It's the mystery of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that he died for sinners like you and like me. And that no matter who you are or where you're from or what culture you belong to, we're all called to be one in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what he's praying for, that words would be given me that I might proclaim the gospel. And not only that, the next blank says, God, would you help me see that I am an ambassador Would you help me see I am an ambassador? That word ambassador means a representative. It's only used two times in the New Testament. It's used here in this text, and then it's used in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. You know that passage well. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. And so we're called to be these ambassadors. An ambassador is an accredited diplomat sent by a country as its official representative to a foreign country. That's you and me. This is not our country in the sense of this is not our home. We're citizens of heaven. We are sojourners on earth. We are aliens just passing through, and yet we're called to represent God right here. You are an ambassador of God. And so Paul is praying, would you give me the words that I could proclaim the mystery of the gospel? Because I'm your ambassador, God. I belong to you. And typically you would think about an ambassador would be a privileged position. And they would be shown great respect even by the foreign country where they serve. But that's not always the case. Sadly, we remember Benghazi where U.S. Ambassador Christopher Stevens was killed on September the 11th, 2012. It's a little bit ironic that somebody of a privileged position would be sought after and killed, and yet at the same time, we serve as ambassadors, and we would think maybe we have a privileged position, and maybe in some ways we do. We're blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ, but then in other ways, we will be persecuted. We will be Uh, We we will suffer loss. We we will face difficulties. We will go through trials. We're in the midst of a culture that no longer respects our faith. And we're going through a difficult time. And so we too may be one day in chains, literally. You might lose your job. You might lose your cultural clout. You might lose the friends that you have in this world if you're really being an ambassador for Christ. But the idea is, is that's okay. Jesus died for me, I will gladly die for him. I will give my life for him. I will suffer whatever I need to suffer. I will stand with the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the example that Paul's giving. Remember, this is called a prison epistle. He's praying from prison because he's been arrested because of his love for the gospel. And so the second prayer that Paul asked for, the first one was that he might proclaim the words of God. And then the second prayer The second henna clause there at the end of verse 20 gives this emphasis of he's praying for boldness, that I would declare the gospel boldly. So here's your next blank. A, God, would you help me be bold in evangelism? The word here for declare it boldly was also used in 19, boldly proclaim. It means to speak openly with no restraints. It means to express oneself freely and fearlessly. I wonder if that would describe you at work, 
I wonder if that would describe you in your classroom or you with your family or you with your neighbor. Are you able to declare the word of God boldly, fearlessly, and in a way that has no restraints? That's what God's asking of us. The example certainly is throughout the New Testament, but I love the time where Peter and John get arrested at the temple for healing a man through the power of God, and they get arrested, and they tell him, don't teach in Jesus' name anymore. But Peter and John answer them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must be the judge, for we cannot help but speak about what we've seen and what we've heard. And so they didn't know how to, how to handle it, so they released them. And a little bit later in that chapter, the disciples are gathered together, and they continue to pray for boldness, Acts 4.29. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Same word. Verse 31, and when they had prayed, that place in which they were in was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Dear friends, we live in a time where the real Jesus is no longer popular. We live in a time when the real gospel is no longer popular. We live in a time where uh, turning from sin as we teach it from the Bible and turning to Christ is no longer an acceptable message in our culture. We are living in a time where we are being and we will continue to be persecuted. This is not a time for us to shrink back. This is a time for us to forge ahead. This is not a time for us to be afraid, but this is a time for us to stand in the strength of his might. This is not a time for us to try to fit in with the world, but this is a time for us to confront the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes, it may be costly for you, but this is what Paul is praying for, that he would be given the words and that he would proclaim it boldly. One last thought here. God, would you help me to speak as I ought to speak? There's a little bit of an obligation here maybe where Paul knows as an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ, he ought to be doing this. He's praying for what he knows he, he ought to already be doing. This is what you and I are called for. And I gave the cross-reference there of Esther where she was there in, um, in, at the time where she was with the king of, of uh, Persia, right? And she needed to step up and to speak the truth. And Mordecai, her uncle, had said, for if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether or not you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And Esther told them to say this to Mordecai, go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. What a great, courageous answer to what will we do in the midst of the persecution that we're facing and we're told don't do what God's called us to do, how we need to be bold as a lion, how we need to be fearless as a falcon, how we need to be hungry as a bear to do the work that God has called us to do. And so oftentimes that is his word being pl squarely placed on our lips that we would be bold enough to proclaim it. And so this ends these four alls of prayer, praying at all times, praying with all prayers, praying with all perseverance, and praying for all the saints. And I wanted you to know that if you're here today and you don't know Christ, I've been praying for you. I've been praying that in this message that you would see the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ.
I've been praying, whether you're here as somebody who grew up in this church, or you're a visitor, or you're a friend of a family member, I've been praying that you on this day would see God as holy, as your creator, and that you would see yourself as a sinner, as someone who, though you try to be perfect and you try to add to society, that you have fallen short of the glory of God. And I've been praying for you that you would understand that the wages of your sin is death. But I've also been praying for you that you would see the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you would know that God so loved the world, that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And I've been praying and begging God to save lost people in our church. And that might be you, young man. And that could be you, young lady, that you would have your eyes become open, and it can only happen by the Spirit of God, and it happens, I believe, God accomplishes the end, also He accomplishes the means through mamas and daddies and grandparents praying for their children and grandchildren and aunts and uncles, that we would be a church that continues to pray, because we know God has the means. He loves us, and He has the means to answer our prayer when we pray in the Spirit, and if you're here today and you are a Christian, and you already know Christ, and you've turned from your sin, then I have a couple of questions that I'd like to ask you here as we close. Number one, are you willing to come to God even when you are messy? Are you willing to come to God even when you're messy? Kind of playing a little bit more on the theme of childlike faith. You know, earlier this week, one of my kids was eating, and uh, my kids are getting pretty good about eating, but sometimes they still make a little bit of a mess and when we have to clean up after five kids at times, it can be a little bit, uh, a little bit of work. And so uh, while they're doing better and doing good, just recently one of my kids was eating breakfast, and I was upstairs and, uh, getting ready to go to work, and this, this, this particular kid was crying out, Dad! Dad! So I come down the stairs, and this child had made a mess. The bowl of cereal spilled all over the counter. Life, the cereal life dripping in their lap, <laughs> the milk all over the floor, and this child just crying out, Dad, can you help me? Now, I, I got to be honest, my first reaction to that is, well, where is your mother? <laughs> but as, as a father, and by the way, she claims that out way more than I do, way more, all right? But as a father, because I love my child, I'll say, hey, you, know, I, you know, I'll clean you up. Come here. I want, I want my kids to know that when they're a mess, that daddy still loves them. And I'll pick up my child and clean them off at the sink and wipe the floor clean and give them a new bowl of cereal and allow them to dig in for their second breakfast. You know, we serve an amazing God who likes to clean up our messes. And I'm afraid that too many of us think, well, I can't come to God in prayer right now. I'm a mess. I've got all kind of major problems in my life, and I don't want to bother God right now. I'm a mess, and I'm trying to learn from the Scripture about having the childlike faith that we need to come to God even when we're a mess, because our God loves to clean up our messes, and He loves to give us second and third chances. Don't be so grown up that you forget to pray like a child and just cry out to Him and beg Him to clean you up even when you're messy. The second question I want to ask you is, do you continue to ask God even when it feels like you're being annoying? 
We all know again what it's like as a child to ask our parents one too many times, and they say, don't ask me again. Now, there might be a time and place where we need to say that to our children, lest they will consume us with their requests for all eternity. At the same time, though, we've grown up too quickly, and we think, well, maybe I'm annoying God, and I don't want to persist too much in prayer. What if I've been praying about this for the whole day or the whole week or the whole month or my whole life, and he doesn't answer? I don't want to keep praying about it because maybe God's annoyed with my prayer. Well, if that's you this morning, you've grown up too much, and you're actually not mature because God tells us to have a childlike faith where we continually come before him asking him because we know that he loves us and we know that he has means to answer our prayer and i just wonder how many of us have just given up on prayer because we felt like we're annoying god and if that's you this morning you need to repent of not trusting god and seeing his true character that he wants you to continue to come to him and to approach him ceaselessly and to make your requests known to our great God who loves you and who has means. Third question for you this morning is, will you have faith like a child even when God says no? Maybe the prayer isn't only unanswered. Maybe the clear answer to that prayer was no. And in that moment, you could be crushed. You could have been expecting that God was going to do what you wanted when you wanted it to done and yet God in his kindness and his grace to you says no and sometimes when we say no to our kids they might be tempted to whine or complain or bicker or carry on and I wonder if we can't also learn from that that we would not be like that that when when God says no through the clear circumstances or the deadlines passed or the need is now moved on to something else that we just realize you know what God always does what's best for me he will not give me a scorpion He will not abuse me in any way. He will not attack me. He will give me what's best for me. And so I'm just going to continue to pray and ask God, this is our secret weapon. And yet it's no secret. It's revealed to us clearly in God's word. And God asks us to ask him and to humble ourselves before him, to ask and to seek and to knock. Are you using your spiritual secret weapon. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would just allow us to understand so many things that have been referenced maybe in this message this morning. God, maybe maybe more than we can get our, our minds around, but I pray would you just remind us of the fact that you love us, that you sent your son to die for us, and that you love to clean up messy children that you love to to wipe our mouth and to clean our clothes and to replace them with the righteousness of the clothes of Christ, and that you abide in us and that you accomplish your will for your glory. Father, would you forgive us for our prayerlessness? Would you encourage us today through these four alls of prayer that we would be praying at all times, that we would have all types of prayers, that we would pray for all perseverance, that we would pray for all the saints. God, we pray that you would open our mouths and fill them with your word and to give us the boldness to proclaim your truth. Help us to be a praying church. And that starts with us being praying individually. So help us to hide out this week in our prayer closet, so to speak, and to see this beautiful secret weapon of prayer 
that we would be warriors and not wimps, that we would be faithful and not fearful, that we would be persistent and not lazy in our prayers. God, remind us of your love for us and your desire to answer prayers that are prayed in the Spirit in accordance with your will for your glory, that you still save the lost and you still provide for your children and you still mend broken hearts and you still do a mighty, incredible work. Whether it's a great big thing or a small thing, God, may we not insult you this week by not coming to you and petitioning you that you would glorify yourself through the prayers of your people. It's in Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen.